This episode of I Was a Teenage Film Snob is not brought to you by Arrow Video, which is a real shame because they're great. Maybe one day. Welcome to I Was a Teenage Film Snob. I'm James Chalmers, and yes, I was a teenage film snob. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, every now and then you do get the chance to meet someone in life who you cannot help but want to speak to again and again and again. Um, If we're very lucky, we get to find those people who share all of our interests, or most of them, um, and we get to have burgeoning friendships with. Um, My guest today is someone who was on my previous podcast, Past the Remote. Uh, He's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet and one of my favorite people to talk about anything with, but especially movies. Please welcome the very dashing Nick Owen. James, what a pleasure to be joining you on your new podcast. <laughs> I, uh, we're talking um, before I've, the I've, show. Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, sorry, a smooth start. Well, you can tell we've done this before. <laughs> I was going to say, I've long thought of you as my, my comedy soulmate. And I still think even though we don't catch up as often as we'd like, I still think that rings true. Just sometimes you'll um, send me a, te- a text message which contains absolute gibberish nonsense that only <laughs> you and I would get, and I think we've still got it. Absolutely. I was thinking before, um, I, was talking, I was talking to Tina the other day um, when we were talking about what topic we are going to talk about tonight, um, and you told me who it was, and um, there's a joke we used to have when we worked together, and we'd <laughs> describe everything as spicy or Moy caliente, and um, <laughs> so I went ahead and photoshopped that director with uh, with some cha- tacos, and, <laughs> and I laughed for longer than a grown man should <laughs> at, uh, at your stupid photoshopping attempt. And I was laughing my head off, and Tina was like, "What are you laughing at?" And I was like, uh, "I'm like, it's it'll take too long to explain, but let me try." Um, yeah, so yeah, we used to do it. We used to do a show together, um, and as I, I keep telling people, it's not dead. It's just on hiatus, um, but we used to do the past remote together, and I've been reflecting a lot about it. I guess in the last couple of weeks leading up to, to tonight, um, because it was so much fun. It was such a like great show that we did. Like I always think about like some of my favorite moments were a um, that we used to always have dinner together. Like it was such a cool thing. Like you come over to Deschamps, and uh, Tina would cook food, and we'd all sit down and like break bread together. Which um, I don't know how other podcasts do it, but I'm guessing not that. But just like, hey, let's hang out, have a meal, and then just talk about movies. <laughs> um, well, I found it was a really great way to – so we obviously would catch up, have dinner, and then record the podcast after that. And you've broken the ice. I mean, not that you really need to when you're as close of friends as we all are, but, you know, it's, it was a real smooth transition into – we'd just be talking, and then all of a sudden we'd be recording what we were, what we're saying. So I thought it worked really, really well. But I should also pull you up um, – previous two podcasts because of course we we did attempt to do a podcast of going through every episode of the u.s version of the office as well <laughs> do you know i i could always forget about it um and then facebook will remind me with that photo that we took like <laughs> for the logo yeah. uh we did that i think we got six episodes in and then we're like okay like yeah I thought we got further, but I mean, I could be misremembering, of course. Well, I but, think we uh, recorded six episodes, but we did like two episodes per show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it, the realization probably hit of just how long we would be doing it if we were going to do one episode per week. And I think also, like, um, and this is probably where Tina started to lose interest. <laughs> like, not that she didn't like doing the show, like, she um, was always very accommodating, but 
Um, she really likes The Office like we do. And then I was like, look, Nick and I end up spending half the episode talking about movies. So we should just do a movie show. And you're like, yeah, that's great. And Tina's like, okay. And like Tina doesn't watch anywhere near as many movies as you and I do. And I think of that, yeah. which is like, well, it was about The Office and now it's not. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think if I remember correctly as well, sorry, I'll, I won't go on about our old podcast. Anymore, no, you're okay. I, I, I have a feeling um, that was right in the middle of, of Game of Thrones, the phenomenon that was Game of Thrones before it kind of went a bit downhill right at the end. Um, and I think that that just, we might talk about the office episode in, in question and then it would just turn to Game of Thrones chat. <laughs> yeah. so. uh, look, we had, a, we had a good run. I loved doing past the remote. Um, the other thing I remember, I was one memory that sticks out to me is a, the episode I was talking to you about before we recorded where we're like, we're going to do an episode where we talk about the five best, like, the like, battles we take five you know five sets of characters who would never meet and who would win in a fight and tina was working the next day she had to like get a whole bunch of stuff done so she's like look i'll do the start of the show and then i'm gonna leave and you guys can do the topic and you and i are probably 30 minutes into this discussion about who would win out of gandalf and dumbledore and you just hear from tina nerds like from upstairs (laughs) meanwhile she's a huge fan of both those franchises (laughs) yeah that's right in fact i don't think i know a bigger harry potter fan than her yeah, I know. Oh, it was so funny. Um, and then the last thing I always think of, these are the, the, my three biggest memories from that show. So obviously having dinner, that being called nerds by a pro- self-proclaimed nerd herself. Um, and the time we had to stop recording because there's a bird in the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. How did I forget that? I don't know why I don't think of that sort of on a daily basis. That was the funniest. I think you were like trying to like um, corral it out of your house with like a tray like a baking tray or something like that yeah so the house we lived in had a color bond roof so there's a gap and birds would fall down the wall all the time and the previous owners or previous renters were like look this is a problem we'll put a plug in the wall so they'd cut a hole in this wall (laughs) and um yeah so what we'd have to do is take the plug out and then what i would often just put a flywire screen in front of it to try and like trap it so it'd like jump on and then try and just guided out the door and it was always a nightmare and the dogs would go crazy (laughs) and so like i remember like the night that happened we stopped the episode and then we came back and we're like so we've been gone for half an hour we had to get a bird out of the wall (laughs) no context to the audience i think that probably what we missed there was keeping that recording Keep keep the recording going and releasing that as like a bo- as some bonus content or something like that. Well, there was no Patreon back in the day. Now, like I could have, could have that's right, it for a yeah. couple of bucks. <laughs> um, nice one. Well, obviously, you had to be on the show. You had to be one of the very first guests on on the show. Now that I'm doing this one, um, because as I said, you are one of my favorite people to talk about movies with. Um, because I think we do have very uh, similar interests in film, but we also, but not always. And I think it really um, brings out a really good discussion and. Obviously, if people can't tell, we make each other laugh quite a bit as well. Um, so I've got to get got to get Nick on. And what we're doing with this show, which is a little bit different, is we will talk about a, a topic. We're going to do a list. As you know, I love a list, and that was something that was very common on Past the Remote. Let's talk about the top five these movies, and tonight's no exception. Um, but like we never, unless I'm forgetting, and it's quite possible I'm an old man now. Like I'm in my mid thirties. Um, we never really, we've never talked about like how you got into film and, you know, like where it began, like whether it was a childhood love or whether you kind of found it um, in your late teens and stuff. So um, I always tell everyone, look, we know I was a teenage film nerd, but were you? Where did it all start for you? Look, I would, would definitely not put myself in that category. Um, I just don't think I, I 
cared enough to delve deep in in films when I was a, a sort of young teenager. I think like a lot of people of, of our generation, sad to think that that's now <laughs> like a few removed. Um, it's uh, My love of film started with, uh, for me, it was Sunday night. We were allowed to go up to our local video store. Um, you'd get an overnight and then two weeklies for I don't know how much because I never paid. Thanks, mum and dad. <laughs> and, uh, and that's where films for me started to become a bit of an event and something that you'd look forward to. So that, um, that real thrill of going in there, scouring, you'd, you'd, there'd always be a new release you were pretty keen yeah. um, to get your hands on. But as, as well, like going digging deep and finding those weeklies that it's like, here's Commando, a, a, <laughs> a Schwarzenegger film from the 80s where he's going to murder 500 people, you know. <laughs> Can we get this, please? Um, and so that's where it really, I guess, my love of a film as, as more of an event um, would have started. And then I think I am unashamedly a product of, of the films that I started to love as I grew up as a teenager. And so I think back to some of my favourite movie-going experiences. Um, you know, I can vividly remember um, going to see with, with my brother um, The Matrix 2. I can't yep. think off the top of my head what the, Reloaded. the tag for that one. Reloaded, thank you, yes, um, which... I tell you, back in 2002, that CGI of him fighting Smith was pretty special. It's still not uh, too bad. I don't know if you've visited recently. It's not too bad. Like, uh, yeah, that trilogy is a pretty regular rewatch for me. I'm a big fan. Mm. Um, and then seeing that and then just making a spur of the decision moment to, um, to see X-Men 2 um, as well, I mean, they were they were out at the same time, and it was it was like one was playing about half an hour later, and that really summed up. I, I am a product of those two. Uh, mm. I lo- still love sci-fi. I love like deep thinking sci-fi and concepts like like the Matrix, um, and then f- from seeing the X Men. I mean, we we spend a lot of time talking about the Marvel franchise. We both big fans of of Zack Snyder's DC universe as well. Yeah. Um. So it kind of bloomed from there, um, and. And another shout out gives you just a specific movie, which really was life changing. Was was the original Iron Man, which I remember seeing course, yeah. in two thousand and seven. I, I think that was the year it came out, and and this was before people like I I didn't know who Iron Man was. I went into it just thinking this looks like a pretty good like popcorn flick, um, and I was my mind was blown. I thought, how mm. is it possible? There's someone this cool, and I thought that bit at the end when he's sitting down eating a hamburger and he says. I am Iron Man was pretty much me like hooked for life. Yeah. I think it's a pretty perfect film. Like, even now, like even fourteen, geez, that film's almost fifteen years old. Um, yeah. And you wouldn't, you can't, you wouldn't notice it. I haven't watched it in a couple of years. I think the last time I watched Iron Man one was the year of Infinity War. So only about, geez, that's four years ago now. Um, <laughs> and I remember even then thinking, you know what? Like some of the CGI is a little bit noticeable for the most part. Like it's pretty clean. Um, and the story, like, is, is, is phenomenal. Um, X2 is a really good pull as well. Like, that's definitely one that I was a big fan of. Um, and that really, I think, people always say, like, Iron Man was the game changer or Dark Knight was the game changer. But before those two films was X2. Like, X2 really made comic book films viable. Um, unfortunately, there's still a lot more bad than there were good back then. But um, that kind of paved the way. And you, I don't know if you know this, but the guy one of the producers on X-Men 2 and even X-Men 1 
um, was Kevin Feige. So the guy who runs the Marvel Cinematic Universe now, he was on those on those sets, and he was the guy being like, "Look, make Wolverine's hair bigger. Like it needs to be bigger. Like make it more like the comics." Um, so the things yeah. that we love about those movies are definitely him. Well, it's funny to see like a real linear relationship between the, those early Marvel films. Um, is X Men Marvel, or are they owned by another? Um... Um, so it's Marvel, but it was owned by Fox until the acquisition. So now yeah, they're working yep, on yep. getting um, the mutants in. So I think the first mutant we're going to probably see is Deadpool because um, they've been talking about that for a couple of years. Deadpool 3 will be a, an MCU film, but there are a lot of rumors about this new Doctor Strange film. Like they're talking about we okay, might see. Yeah. Like, I mean, I saw like a leaked credit list and there's no way it's true because it was literally like Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, Ben Affleck as Daredevil, um, you know, James McAvoy and Patrick Stewart as Professor Xavier, like Nick Cage as Ghost Rider, like Tom Cruise as Iron Man, like because Tom Cruise was meant to play Iron Man like in the 90s. Um, and I was, like, I was like, look, there's no way this is true. <laughs> Affleck has been very vocal about the fact he doesn't want to do superhero films anymore. But if even one of these shows up, like that's going to be pretty great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Krasinski yeah. as Mr. Uh, Fantastic was another one, because like, he's been... Uh, he'd be perfect. He's, well, uh, am I thinking of someone else, or was Krasinski down to the short list of people to play Captain America? He was down the short list as Captain yeah. America. And, but this was this was still um, Office John Krasinski. Like, he was still, like, deep in the office. A couple of mm. years after the office, once he started doing, like, Jack uh, Jack Ryan and stuff, you can see he's, like, buff as hell. Like, now he could... Yeah, yeah. I mean, now he could play. He could play Captain America, you know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, sorry, I'll just finish off with this this last little iteration of of me as a film um, a film buff, I guess, for lack of a better word, is is this move I've had where I've really started to value films that are. Uh, this is coming from someone who's just said I'm a lifelong Marvel and DC fan, but films that are just not attached to existing IP. Um, yeah. I'm afraid I've become a little cynical um, with with the Hollywood machine where it's like if it's not IP, we don't want to know about it. And that's why I think that there are certain films why I'll always I'll always love um, Christopher Nolan is because he's make he makes comic book movies that aren't based on comic books. I know he makes Dark Knight, sorry, excuse that. Yeah. But like... Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, like Tenet, uh, Interstellar, mm. yeah. um, these are all like original ideas. Whether whether you like them or, or, or don't like them, um, the value I have is that it's a, a, a really intelligent, large-scale event movie that's not just um, designed to get me into the cinema and then to keep me coming back. It's it's designed for me to take away and think about it and enjoy. And, and I think that I'm getting a lot of enjoyment out of some of the, the Marvel and the Star Wars shows, but when I talk about being a bit more of a cynical older man, uh, it, it's more about, um, you know, uh, tuning into Disney Plus to see the new, a new Marvel show. And you know that they're going to introduce a couple of new characters, which, don't get me wrong, is great, but then they're going to have a spin-off. And I know that there won't be a resolution in that season. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's more about getting, it's more about gaming your attention than actually giving you a real satisfying product. And uh, mm. yeah, so that's why, and don't get me wrong. I, I'm probably like a, the biggest hypocrite in the world because I, you know, I, I've watched a lot of those shows and I've loved them, but I just think there's also a place for, for some more independent films and just original content as well. And I think that that's sadly lacking at the moment um, in the, in the film landscape. Absolutely, and that's where I am as well. Because like, I'm, I'm in two, I'm in two camps. Because I'm big indie film fan. I became an indie film fan in high school. Like I always liked movies. I was just like you. I was a video easy kid. 
Um, that was mine. And we were, we were Friday nights. We'd go on a Friday night and we, that way we could watch movies all weekend. Um, and so, but uh, so I was exactly the same as you. Um, and then when I got into high school, I was like, I think I want to make movies. I think like, but it took a long, it took a while. I didn't really know because I was always into writing and I'm around like age 16, right before we had to pick electives for VC. I was like, I think I want to check out this film stuff. And I remember what it was. There were three things that made me want to be, get into movies or like at least look at movies a little bit closer. The first two were trailers. There was the trailer for Sin City and I'd never seen anything like it before. I'm like, what is this? This is amazing. And that was the first movie I ended up seeing by myself. And as you know, um, I'm a huge fan of going to movies by myself now. Like when I used to work in retail, I'd have every Wednesday off. So I'd go, sweet, matinee, let's go 10 a.m. Only one in the cinema. Let's watch a movie, then go to the gym. Obviously, now I'm watching the movie still, not going to the gym so much. I've pulled out. <laughs> but, um, so since it was that first movie I ever saw by myself, but that trailer was so different and unusual. I was like, I don't know what this is. And then I started paying attention to directors. And the other one, of course, was the trailer for Kill Bill. Like with that battle for, without the battle without honor of humanity, that, that soundtrack, the dun, 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 seeing the way it was cut and everything. I was like, that's, I don't know what this is. And I didn't know that. I knew the name Quentin Tarantino because like everyone was always talking about it, but I didn't know anything about it. Um, and I remember I wanted to see that movie so bad. And I was like, well, it's R and I'm 15, so I won't be able to see it for three years. And then I got a job at a video store and I snuck a copy and watched it at like age 16. It was the best. Um, <laughs> and um, so those two were the first things that got me interested in film. And I, so I went and uh, I was studying film in high school. And then a friend of mine was like, um, you should watch this movie. Like, you're into comedy. You like weird things. You'll like this. Um, and it was this movie called Clerks. And I've blown it up on my on my Instagram. I talk about it. It's my favorite movie of all time. And it changed my life because here's this film. It's black and white. And I thought my TV was broken or like the DVD, the disc was broken. So I didn't know that like, cause it was the, the case was in color. So I didn't know it was a black and white film. And it's got the filthiest language I've ever heard in my life. I wasn't watching a lot of films with swearing at that time. because I grew up in a very strict house. We touched on that in the episode with my dad, uh, but I'd never heard these jokes before. And like these kids sounded like a version of me, like a little bit bluer than me, but like they talked to like me and my friends because they just talked about movies the whole time. And I was like, this is really cool. Like, what is this? Like, who is this guy? And then I went down the rabbit hole and just started watching all of his films. And my favorite part of that story is that the girl who introduced me to the movie Clerks is a girl named Amy. Now, if you don't watch Kevin Smith films, that means nothing. But if you do, he has a movie called Chasing Amy and he tells a story about a girl named Amy in all of his like Q&As. So I was like, that's kind of cool. <laughs> but... um. <laughs> <laughs> and that was my intro to indie film. And then I discovered people like Soderbergh, um, Larry Clark, who did Kids, which is a really dark, messed up movie. Um, I eventually did go down the, the rabbit hole with Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez and stuff like that. Um, so there's a very long way of me saying, I agree with you. There's a place for both. <laughs> like I'm yeah. kind of indie original films as well. That being said, last year or the year before, I, I watched about 380 films um, because – I had a baby girl. I still do, but she was just born, and she, I had to stay up till three AM to watch her. So I just had all this killer time. At one point, I did watch like an indie film. I was like, mm, "Now I'm getting too old for this. This is too experimental. This is too out there." <laughs> so I definitely. I'd love to know what it was. What was the threshold? Where it's like the great James Chalmers is like, "No thanks." <laughs> I think it's called. I think it was called Beyond the Black Rainbow. I could be wrong. Mm. And it's directed by the guy who directed Mandy, um, which is a Nick Cage film. If you've never seen Mandy, yeah. it's great. Um, it's this psychedelic, like, sci-fi cult film about this guy whose girlfriend gets abducted by this weird sex cult, and he ends up fighting 
like demons with chainsaws. It's it's great. Like Nick Cage <laughs> is doing more interesting stuff in the last couple of years than his entire career. Um, so so I was like, oh, well, I liked Mandy. That was really weird and cool. I watched Beyond the Black Rainbow, and it was just like atmospheric music for an hour and a half with flickering images and not really much of a story. I was like this. And like, maybe it's because it was like two in the morning and I had a baby, but I was just like, this, oh, I might be done with these kind of yeah. movies. <laughs> yeah. I think any sort of sleep deprivation doesn't lend itself to those. Um, I remember one, one evening trying to, I think I just, it wasn't a scenario where I was up till super late, but I think I just made the decision to watch a film quite late. And uh, it turned out to be Neon Demon, a, uh, Nicholas Winding Renf, Renf um, or yep. Refn, okay, uh, film, and my word, I didn't sleep particularly well that that night. Quite a bit that, of imagery and cannibalism yeah. in that one. <laughs> so, uh, I had this new philosophy, and obviously, like the show's called, I, I was a teenage film snob, and the movie, the show's not really about that. But I am trying to be a little bit more open-minded. And my thing now is like, I'm not going to bad talk a film. If I don't like it, like, that's fine. I'll try and find something good in it. Neon Demon is just a film I didn't like. And it's not a bad film, but just for me, there's nothing about it that I connected with. I was just like, well, you know, okay. Well, I watched it. Like, it just yeah. didn't really, yeah, didn't really engage me. And like, it was funny because everyone was going nuts about it. Like, obviously, not the general populace where it was like, this is as big as Iron Man. But like, all at like, the film festivals and stuff, they were like, oh, this film, what an artful yeah. delight. I remember watching it. I'm like, oh, I mean, look, there's some interesting stuff in it. But, um, I don't know whether like El Fanning was just really unenthusiastic or whether that was the decision they were like, this is what the performance is. But it's like, man, I'm just not engaging. Um, yeah, I, I think, and, and not to just make this a podcast about the neon demon, but <laughs> I think that, I mean, we can if you'd like to. Um, I think it was designed to be to be shot in a deadpan way. I think it's a really flat affect um, mm. in that film. No one seems to be seems to be doing much. Um, but I will say one thing I really love about his films is there's some shots that that he, he's so unique and this I think the way he films the certain scenes almost like they're portraits where he's it's almost like he's scanning along a really long portrait um, and it's not all encompassed in the frame. Mm. And um, for, for if anyone's, and this is a deep cut, but if anyone's seen um, the, the, the show he directed um too old to die young which had miles teller in it okay just there's some unbelievable shots in that of just uh, it's really it's really dark and and grim it's not it's not a light-hearted watch at all but i think he's a really talented dude but you've got to be in the right headspace i think yeah he definitely makes some really interesting films and like yeah look my 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 complaints about the movie were not the technical side of thing at all like it it's shot you know, stunning like the use of color and imagery and and lighting is is really cool and music as well it was just yeah and look maybe i wasn't in the right mood to watch it either um because you know i've definitely like you know maybe you know what maybe i owe this for another watch i'll give it a watch in a few years but like that deadpan style like when you talk about that i think it was like thoroughbreds i don't know if you've ever seen that but it came out a few years ago with um uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, who's this huge star now, but when this movie came out, she wasn't really. Like, she'd just done Split, which kind of put her on the scene, but now she's everywhere, you know? she's in. She was in Emma, and she was in Last Night in Soho and all those other, all those other movies. Um, it was her, and oh, I can't remember what the other girl's name is. I'm going to look it up, which is very typical past the remote behaviour, where we're like, oh, let me look it up while we're talking. Olivia Cook. Nah, the... Past the remote behaviour would have been 
us being on the same wavelength. So like I would have been on IMDb, like my, <laughs> an overriding memory of, of our previous podcast is just always phones on the table. Just, you might be talking about a movie and I'm just looking it up while you're talking about it. I've got it here. Like I was looking up, um, Olivia Cook was the other actress. She was in Ready Player One. So um, Thoroughbreds was yeah. very much that. It was very deadpan. And it's about two girls who conspire to kill um, one of the girls' stepdads or whatever. Wonderful movie. Like really, enge- like really cool and really engaging. That I guess is... The concept was very different to Neon Demon, but it was that whole like deadpan, like we're unenthusiastic, we're kind of apathetic, that kind of style. Um, and for me, it's just the film that maybe captured that approach a little bit better. Um, but Neon Demon, Demon, I'll give another go. Every film gets a second chance. Mm-hmm. Um, nice one. Cool. Um, but we'll talk a little bit. We got, we got a topic this week. Um, and I remember I messaged you and uh, we've already used his name once. Where I was like, I was like, we should do top five Nolan films. I know you're a huge Nolan fan. And I was like, we can call the episode Nick Loves Nolan. The alliteration will be great. And also, like, it'll give me some, give me some banter. And you, <laughs> you see, you didn't set me up. But you're like, eh, why don't we do Scorsese instead? And never wanted to back down from a challenge. I'm like, done. Let's do Scorsese. And then I stopped. I'm like, how many... Scorsese films have I watched and like that's going to sound alarming for a show called I Was a Teenage Film Snob but um, I've seen a lot of Scorsese films but he's just not one that I go back to a lot and it's not a Christmas film it's just more like Scorsese makes long films he makes three hour films that are very dramatic and epic and like sometimes you're just on the mood for these one like a quick burn like get me in and out in 90 minutes let me have a laugh that sort of thing so whilst I, I do love and respect him as a filmmaker <laughs> he's not I wasn't sure if I had a top five I've got a top yeah, five I think I think maybe your more suited to Jackass than Scorsese. <laughs> I, uh, I uh, look. I mean, I've seen them. I haven't seen the new one yet, obviously, but I've seen yeah. those films, and there's some entertainment. I say that. I say that as a as if I'm a film snob. I'm a simple man, and seeing a guy <laughs> get whacked with a big hand or something like that, you know, that's never not going to be funny. That makes me think. If I don't know if you ever saw it, but they did that spin-off, film, or they did like a. Uh, a narrative film because normally all this stuff is stunts, but they did that film Bad Grandpa. I don't know if you ever watched it. I didn't know. And um, it's not like it's not every film gets a second chance. It's not the most like it's not it's not, it's not the cleverest film, you know. Like it was, it was written by Spike Jones who wrote her, but like it's it's obviously like kind of a somewhat narrative tale based on stunts and stuff like that. But it, the, throughout the entire film, Johnny Knoxville playing the grandpa is like I, I'll never go fishing again because that one time. And they keep teasing it over and over again and they never show it. And you're like, what is this fishing story? And then finally, like the punchline at the end of the movie is like, um, they show you the flashback and he goes fishing and he reels in this giant, like fake inflatable fish. It's got like a massive dildo on it. And it's just like attacking <laughs> him in the face. And like, it was cracking me up. Like, like it was just so funny because I just wasn't expecting it. I was in tears. So like, you know. They yeah, have- but I feel like those are, those moments are really great levelers because, you know, particularly if you identify as someone who's really into films, as we both do, we both love talking about them, sometimes you need something that, like a moment like that to be like, yeah, I am just also one of the people, you know, like uh, <laughs> simple things, simple pleasures in life. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, that was my goal last year, last year during, during lockdown. So I was, I'm going to be, I'm going to visit the films that I said I wouldn't watch. And so, like, I started with, like, I'm going to start with some post-2003 Adam Sandler. Because um, I loved Adam Sandler as a kid and as a teenager. Like, Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, like, Waterboy, all those movies cracked me up. 
And then, like, around the time, I think the last film that I really enjoyed was Mr. Deeds. And then after that, I kind of lost interest because um, I just kind of kind of outgrown it a little bit. Um, and I was like, you know what? I was like, I'm going to give this um, I'm going to give this Pixels movie a go because one of my one of my good friends loves loves Adam Sandler and Kevin James and stuff. It's about video games. That's kind of a cool idea. It's got got a good cast. I watched it and look, it ain't winning any awards. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not going to be like on anyone's top, you know, best films of all time was. But like, as a harmless family comedy, with like, just a bit silly. I was like, you know what? That's pretty entertaining. Like. That's good stuff in. I watched it. I did a double feature, that and Uncut Gems. And boy, what a trip that was. Oh, man. Uncut Gems. I don't think I've ever been more anxious in my life than when I... That, that film is just, like, edited and and scored like a nightmare. Like, it is think, like a nightmare. I think the only time I was more anxious or equally anxious was watching the mountain fight the Viper in, um, <laughs> in Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. All right, so top, we're going to do top five Scorsese films. Um, and I imagine you'll have a couple of honourable mentions as well. So what we used to do on Pass the Remote, so just so people know, take it in turns. We'll go from five to one, um, do a little bit of a back and forth on a talk about the movies, and then we'll throw in the ones that didn't quite make the list, but we do enjoy quite a bit. Um, and uh, I imagine it'll generate some conversation. <laughs> That's the idea. Uh, yeah, it'd be a pretty bad podcast if there's no talking. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I'm just here to list them and then leave. So <laughs> just put just put it up on the camera. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so you're, we're, we're going to finish with our honourables, or yeah, we'll do, we'll do honourables last. And the reason why, because people are like, why would you save those to last? We did this in past remote because there were three of us, mm-hmm. and I'd list all my honourable mentions, and Tina be like, you just listen ten of my movies. <laughs> like, so well, yeah. uh, okay. I'm going to cop it. I'm making fun of her so much on the show. If she listens to it, she's like, um. Can I have a word, please? Because you've been very mean about me on your show. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll let you start. Top number five, Scorsese. Film. Number five, as a Marty head, I'm going to go back to his. Um, oh, look, none of mine are, and I'll say right off the bat, are from his. I'm sure what a lot of fellow Marty heads would say are his seminal period um, of those 70s, like your Mean Streets or Taxi Driver, those kind of those early Robert De Niro ones. Um, so I'll get, put that right off the bat. And I think this is the oldest film on the list, actually. And number five is Colour of Money. Um, okay. So this is this was made in the late 80s, um, starring the legend Tom Cruise, still as a young man, and also uh, a, an older legend in Paul Newman. Um, and, I mean, I won't, I won't bore you and go through the plot, but essentially they're, they're pool hustlers. And they're uh, traveling around the Midwest uh, on their way to a big pool tournament, and they sort of just um, go to these regional pool halls and hustle people out of their money. And I think that, first of all, I, I would say that you you must classify it as a sports movie. <laughs> you wouldn't think so as a pool <laughs> movie. Um, but I think that one thing I really really love about Scorsese's films and the way he shoots them is that this is a pretty it's, it's not a concept or a film idea that's going to really knock anyone's socks off. Um, it had a few things going for it. Obviously, Paul Newman is, is like a, a legend of, of Hollywood. Uh, Tom Cruise was in that sweet spot of like Top Gun, um, Cocktail, this. Like he was a comet, you know, like absolutely rising star. Mm. And you've got scenes like... Um, <clears throat> It, it might just be a bit of a humdrum movie idea, but, you, but you've also got Scorsese being like, yeah, but, like, it's also me. And there's a one-take um, one take sequence where he's revolving the camera around a pool table 
uh, while Tom Cruise is smoking some regional guy in pool and dancing to Werewolves of London. I mean, <laughs> it's it's a moment of genius. Uh, I would recommend just everyone uh, get on YouTube and just look up um, Color of Money, Werewolves of London. I'm sure it's on, on the they, somewhere. They parody it in um, Community. Oh, did they really? Okay, well, there you go. I did not yeah, know and I didn't realize it was a reference because I haven't seen Color of Money. Um, so, and I, I imagine there'll be a few movies on yours I haven't seen. Again, I'm not... I haven't gotten done a deep dive on Scorsese, so like there'll be some shock, I'm sure. Um, but there is a, there's an episode where one of the guys in community wants to join the pool, the billiards class, and um, the the like, kind of the crescendo of the episode, the final like moments of the episode is them having a, a game to Werewolves of London. So it's obviously a reference to that. There you go. Yep. Yeah, there we go. Um, and I think the ending is is really elevates that film above what it probably has any right to do, which, uh, I mean, again, I won't go through the plot, but Paul Newman um, is a bit of a lost soul throughout it. He sort of lost his passion for pool and his passion is just for making money. Uh, And then the final shot of the movie is him just like, you got to understand how the movie is shot, but he flacks the pool, the the white ball. I don't know pool terminology and it smashes (laughs) into him and he goes, I'm back and then just cuts. Nice. <laughs> um, and so it's a real Scorsese finish. Um, and while it's not a film, I, you know, I could ever be like, Oh, that's in my top 10 films. I just think if you want, if you want to go back and experience the absolute um, tour de force of Tom Cruise, as he was taking over the world. Uh, yeah. Would really recommend. Nice one. It's definitely one that, like, it's obviously one of those tiles I've heard a lot of and just haven't got around to. But um, you're, whenever I get a, a Nick Owen stamp of approval, I generally chuck that on the list. So it definitely will go on there. Um, my number five is also um, probably not one that people are thinking of, think of too much. And I'm, I'm with you. So there are a couple from his early period that aren't on my list, but they are in my, some of them are in my honorable mentions. Um, I've gone with The King of Comedy. So I don't know if you've ever seen this one. So it's, it's one of his Robert De Niro ones. Um, mm-hmm. It's one of the biggest inspirations for um, Joker, that movie that came out a few years ago with Joaquin Phoenix. That movie was basically inspired by two Scorsese films, one being Taxi Driver, the other one being King of Comedy. Um, and basically Robert De Niro plays this wannabe stand-up comedian, Rupert Pupkin, and he's just terrible. Like he really thinks he's he really thinks he's gonna be like the best comedian ever. He um adores um, the character played by Jerry Lewis, very much like in Joker, how he idolized the Robert De Niro character. Um, it's the same kind of thing. And the film kind of like builds and builds. And he kind of becomes a bit of a stalker. And he's just trying to get on the show. He just wants to he just wants to prove himself. If he can get on the show, like everyone will see how funny he is. Um, and him and his girlfriend end up taking Jerry Lewis hostage and like trying to force him to get him on the show. It's like, it sounds funny. It's really dark and weird. Like it's not like a, it's not a typical Scorsese film. It's not violent. It's not very cursy. It's actually like, it's very kind of um, tame for Scorsese. But the themes are very unusual. Like it's 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 very dark and like very twisted, and it it's not. There are funny moments, but it's not a comedy. Like it's it's kind of this weird, torturous um, exploration of a guy who has a dream and doesn't realize like, hey, not all dreams come true. Like maybe you should just try something else. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but yeah, look, right. I, I I um. It's actually a real um, blind spot in, in my um, Scorsese back catalogue here because, um, like you, I think I had read um, when The Joker came out that that it was sort of quite heavily influenced by that film and I thought, oh, what's this film? Like, I have not seen this. And I think 
don't know if it was a you know wrong time, wrong headspace, but I um gave it a crack and watched it, and I just could not could not engage with it. I don't know. I think maybe it's just a bit too experimental. A bit, you know, the themes are a bit out there, and I just it didn't grasp me. So I don't I don't know if I even got through it to be honest with you. Um, but but having, you having it so um, high in your in your list at well at five, um, I might have to rethink that. I think it's very deliberately um, disengaging. Like you're not supposed to like him. Like it's, it's you know even in most of Scorsese's films, even though most of his characters are bad people, you kind of want to root for them. And in this, you don't. He's just annoying. You're like, oh, like come on. Like I'd rather look at any other character in this movie than you. Um, and I think that's why I liked it because also like. You don't really see De Niro play a loser. Like, he, he really doesn't. Even when he was like, I mean, I never watched Grudge Match, but like, even when he's like an old retired boxer and stuff, even when he's like in these like weird comedies and stuff, he's never, he's always presented in a very respectful, like, he's the power. He's the, like, he's in charge. He's the guy. Um, and so that's why I liked it so much because it's just interesting to see De Niro play a guy who's not in charge, who has no control, who's like, who is a bit of a loser and stuff. Um, and it was really, I think it's a really good chance to see him do something different because, you know, even in his comedies and stuff, for the most part, he's kind of doing the same thing. And that's not a criticism of his acting. It's just kind of he got a bit typecast, I think, especially after um, Godfather Part Two. Um, so I really like that it's such an interesting version of De Niro. And Jerry Lewis is fantastic as well, obviously, like really good. In it. Mm. Um, but, yeah, King of Comedy, um, it's a, I cannot recommend it enough. It's a great film. Oh, excellent. What a strong start. <laughs> What, uh, what do you got for four? Number four. Um, <clears throat> number four is the vehicle that really launched my serious uh, idolization of, of Leonardo DiCaprio, and that's The Aviator. Mm-hmm. Um, came out in the early 2000s, then it's the uh, a, a biography or a biopic of um, Howard Hughes. Yep. And, um, and I really think that, Bloody Jamie Foxx and Ray stole a lot of limelight. He, that was the same year that Ray came out and yep. um, and, and Jamie Foxx won the Oscar, I think, that year. But I, I really think that um, that Leonardo DiCaprio's performance uh, as Howard Hughes was superior. And, uh, and, and this film's not actually in there for any cinematic flourishes or any shots that are like, oh, that's signature Scorsese. It's purely in there because of the performance that he, that he pulled out of Leo. Mm. And in fact, I think that you you'd also had um, Kate Blanchett in there, and I think she did win an Academy Award for that film. And I also think that John C. Riley was po- like probably could have won the uh, the best supporting actor. Well. I think there's three really amazing performances in there. And John I just C. Riley think- is such an underrated actor. Like people only like so people only attribute him to like Step Brothers or like those kind of comedies, and he's great in them. But by the way, like he's <laughs> so funny, but like. He's such a great dramatic actor. Like some of the stuff he does, like, well, uh, that's such a good point. I mean, my my exposure to him was in things like Step Brothers, um, Talladega Nights. Yeah, and I think that the, the the mark of how good of an actor he is is he's actually a, a classically trained character actor who is funny just because he can act comedy. He's not. A, I don't think he's a naturally. He's not in the same um, category of funny as like your your. Um, I don't know, like your Jim Carrey's, mm. um, those kind of people who are just who are just naturally hilarious people. I think he's just that good of an actor that yeah. he can perform the scenes in such a funny way. So, um, yeah, no, big fan of John C. Riley as well. Um, but yeah, again, so uh, I mean, there's, there's not too much more I can say on the Aviator. I think 
Um, it's in there purely for it's it's a great story and uh, great performances as well. And that's another one. Like again, look, I'm zero for two. Like still haven't seen the Aviator, and it's just one of those ones where like it's a three hour runtime. I'm like, I need to find three hours to watch this. Like, do you know what I mean? Uh, I wonder if it'll the difference in if if it's something I like, I'm all out. I'm I'm a maximalist. Like, give me as much of that. You know, if if I'm engaged in a movie and I'm really enjoying it, then let it be three and a half hours. <laughs> of course, absolutely. And you know, I I say that and I was like, you know what, during lockdown when you had a baby and dropped to three AM, you did watch Infinity War and Endgame back to back. So like, <laughs> you know, the the argument does fall apart. Um and now I'm doing this thing where I'm like, I'm doing the, I've kind of been doing this thing on, on Instagram where every night is movie night. So every night, doesn't matter like what time it is, I'll chuck something, chuck something on. If I don't finish it, that's cool. But I just wanted, I wanted to like be exposed to more stuff. I'm trying to get through my collection of movies that I haven't watched yet. So I've got a bunch because I just buy so much. I was like, I should really watch everything before I start rewatching stuff this year. So I'm about halfway through it. I had about 60 movies I needed to watch and I'm about almost 30 movies into those 60 that I haven't watched yet. So... Um, it's pretty solid, pretty solid yeah. though. And then I can move to Netflix and stuff, but I'm like, the stuff I've paid for, I've got to watch. Um, but Aviator has also been on my list forever. Um, so um, uh, good to hear a resounding review for that one. That's um, excellent. Um, my number four probably isn't that much of a surprise. Um, and my uh, beyond King of Comedy, my list is going to be pretty vanilla, I'll be honest, like it's stuff that people are going to expect. Um, but it's got to be Casino. Um, Casino is great. Like it's just... It's 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 such a typical mob film. Like it's exactly what you expect from Scorsese. You got De Niro playing the bad guy. You got Pesci playing the worst guy, and you've got Sharon Stone playing the surprisingly bad girl that you weren't expecting to be bad. It hits all those tropes. It hits all those marks you expect for him. But it's still great. Like it's just it's really entertaining. It's just I just I could watch like late eighties, early nineties De Niro and Pesci go back and forth nonstop. Do you know what I mean? It's like they're just so entertaining yeah. together. <laughs> And there's that scene, obviously. I, I with, think. Go on. No, sorry, you keep going. There you go. I'd say there's that scene where you know the, the famous scene where they take the gu- the cheater, the guy counting cards out the back, um, and they're like torturing him and stuff. And like again, it's been parodied to death, but it's just a great film. It's just a it's just a really great film. And I don't really have anything to say about it. Do you know what I mean? Like I can't be like. And here's the reasons why. Yeah. It's exactly what I want from Martin Scorsese films. Exactly what I expect, and it just delivers on all on all categories. So yeah. Yeah, I think that it's a it's a mark of just how consistent he was in that genre that he had that he had his guys, you know, he had his team. Um, you know, it's like Avengers Assemble kind of yeah. thing. <laughs> and like Robert Robert De Niro just flies in and, and Joe Pesci. But I think as well, um, you know, he was able to just capture this this weird moment where it, with those and a couple of other films that I'm sure will pop up on our on our list, but you know, Robert De Niro was having this renaissance from, you know, being biggest thing in the world through the seventies and eighties and then coming back in the nineties in, in these kind of films. And then, yeah, this strange period where Joe Pesci was, was one of the most important people acting in films. You know, he was in Goodfellas, Home Alone, um, Casino. What, what a like contrast from Goodfellas <laughs> to Home Alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So no, no, great film. Um, not on my list, but, um, no spoilers there, but um, yeah, absolutely <laughs> fantastic film. Yeah, absolutely. Hit me with number three. Number three is possibly the most debauched, hedonistic t- three hours I've ever spent watching. Oh, I think we might have the same movies. Number three, we should say it. Really, I'll count Wolf of Wall Street. 
Oh, uh, so, you ruined it for me. That's okay. Yes, Wolf of Wall Street is my number three as well. <laughs> it is. I think it works on so many levels, this film. Um, it's shot beautifully. Obviously, like great performances from, from Leonardo DiCaprio. The introduction of Margot Robbie to the world, I think, can't be understated. I'd imagine there was quite a few young men Googling her <laughs> um, <laughs> after that film. Um, and it works on, on you know, you can go and just, and just sit back and watch these animals debase themselves with money and drugs and, and alcohol. Um, but I also like that you can tell that they've just, like, he's not, it's not a, it's not a judgment on those people. It's just like, yep, the shit people who exist and they've built this hell for themselves. And, and mm. you can just see, you can see that they're all awful people. None of them look particularly happy. And, uh, and I think it's, it's a really clever film. And I think shout out to it. Cause it's probably got, I think the most F words of all time. I think there's just one every like a couple of seconds in that film as well. It's, it's great. Like, and you're right. It is debauched. Like I remember I watched, cause I watched it. I remember, and I can talk about this freely now because I don't work there anymore, but I remember I was working, we were working together in a storeroom loading boxes and stuff, and I was really, I was feeling pretty unwell, and um, we were meant to go to the movies that night, and I'd, I'd gone home sick. As I'm leaving, you're like, we're still going to the movies tonight, right? I'm like, of course we are. Like, I'll just, I'll just get through this. And I came home, and I watched Wolf of Wall Street, like, and then I slept, and then I went, we went and saw Sin City too. Um <laughs> And then I watched Wolf of Wall Street later with, with Tina a little while later and she was like, man, she goes, yeah, I don't know if I can look at a man for a while. Like it's, it's <laughs> pretty like, it's pretty full on, yeah. but it's arguably got the best soundtrack of any Scorsese film. Like the music just works on every level. Every song is perfectly picked. Um, Margot Robbie obviously is is genius in, and Leo, you can't take away from, from, it's not his best performance. Like, you know, he, had, he won the, did he, he didn't win the award. Did he win the award for Wolf of Wall Street, or was it for? It was nah, Rev- it was Revenant. Yeah, yeah. which phew, in in retrospect, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I feel like I remember people saying like this is just like to make up for Aviator and Catch Me If You Can and stuff like that because he'd win so many mm. good performances before. But he's great in it, and then you've got like obviously Jonah Hill um, is fantastic mm. in it. Um, John Bernthal, the Punisher, is like plays the the muscle guy. <laughs> Yeah. Um, the mum from How Much Your Mother, Christ- Christian Miliotti, plays his first wife. Like, yes, his first wife. Yep, it's a solid flick. Um, and you're right. That, and when you were talking about like runtimes before, this is a film that flies by. Um, it's very, very entertaining, even if it is a bit dark and you know grimy. And they throw you know um, a little person at against a target at one point. And <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, and it's, they're just they're unashamedly scumbags mm. and i like that it makes no judgment on that there's no i mean i suppose you would say that he's he gets his comeuppance because of this it's a true story based on true risk story based on um jordan belford who who did end up going to prison um but it kind of just it just presents these people and you can take it for what you want you can just enjoy the fact that it's just insanely debauched animals doing this kind of stuff um or you can look at it a little bit deeper. And I think like any true favourite film of mine, I know that it's in that category because there's, it provides me with certain things that, I, that stick with me my whole life. And this is a bit of a deep cut reference, but there's a bit when Leo and Margot Robbie are arguing in their bedroom and, and uh, she says they're arguing about something and she goes, oh, then I had to, 
um, hey, the, uh, I had to interact with the golf course people or something like that. And Leo's like, oh, you had to interact with the golf course people. What a Greek tragedy. So now <laughs> I, I use Greek tragedy fairly often in my, <laughs> in my life. And if something is ever a struggle, I very much use that gif of Leonardo DiCaprio like crawling and trying to get into his uh, Ferrari <laughs> or Lamborghini or whatever it is that's come in very handy over the years as well. Um, it's a great flick. And like, I know like, I just can imagine people listening to this, especially if they are, you know, big Scorsese fans, they be like, really? Like, the Wolf of Wall Street's on there? Because it seems to be a thing about a lot of Scorsese guys, but they're just like, Wolf of Wall Street, like, that's when Scorsese dipped. And it's like, no, like, I get it. It's not a gangster film. Like, I get it. It's a bit more lighthearted. Like, but I don't know. Like, the thing about it is just, it's very rewatchable as well. Like, you can't help but just, like, you know, want to go in for a second round and check it out again. Um, it's and it, I was even one of them the first time I watched it. I'm like, yeah, it was all right, but I don't know what everyone's talking about. But now I only think about it and be like, yeah, I do want to say that again. Um, yeah, and I think you're right. I think you just you tune in and then you're just like, time starts flying by. It's just mm. very well paced that film. Um, nice one. Well, okay, well that, that was both of our number three. Good timing. What uh, what do you got for number two? Uh, we should shoot straight to number two. This was a very tough decision because I feel like um, Scorsese has. For, for most people, I think would have a universally accepted number one film. But for me, um, I, my number two is, is Goodfellas. It's my number two, which makes me think that, <laughs> well, which makes me think our number one's the same as well. We'll, well, get, we'll save it. We'll uh, save it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but don't say yours because I've got a good bit for that. <laughs> I had a bit in mind uh, as well, so I think it is the same film. Okay. Tell me about <laughs> Goodfellas. <laughs> Um, if we, yeah, okay. Anyway, that's to come. Um, good <laughs> fellas. <laughs> what else can you say about? Uh, I think that a, a lot of people would say Godfather is, and I think they are slightly different films, but um, Godfather is the pinnacle of like mob movie, mafia kind of thing. But for me, uh, like I just still remember um, the first time watching it, and it starts. There's they're in that car. Uh, uh, sorry, De Niro, Pesci and um, Ray Liotta are in that car, red light shining on their face. They park, Pesci stabs a guy in the boot and then some trombone comes in and bang, the uh, the voiceover starts, Ray Liotta's voiceover starts. I, I've never been more into a film in the first three or four minutes than I have in that. And I think it's flawless um, from there. I think that like every person in that, probably could have won best actor <laughs> yeah um, it's, it's so good and this is another one this is actually we were talking about suspense before with um with uncut gems but the moment when they realize that like people coming after them like you just don't know what's going to happen and when like there's the woman the you know the guy following her down the corridor she's going to look at the coats or whatever um and then they use layla like they, that excerpt from layla and they open up the meat truck and the ah, it, it's <laughs> And, you know, funny how, like, it's so iconic. There's yes, so many great yeah, moments in yeah. it. Like, this is, like, primo Pesci. And, and again, yeah. like, I like I like Pesci in pretty much everything. Um, there's one film recently he was in that I didn't like so much, but it had less to do with him and more about the fact that they were far too old to be in that movie, um, which is also a Scorsese film, uh, funnily enough. But it's just him at his prime. Like, it's him at his best. Like, it's so good. Um, and Ray Liotta, like, he didn't really show up in, in it any other Scorsese films as far as I can remember, but I could be wrong there. 
But even him, like, you go in there and he's less of a household name, I would say, than those two. Like, everyone knew De Niro and Pesci. Leota, not so much. But he just he holds his own against them so well. Yeah, and I think it's a really good point. And, um, you know, I'm sure he would have wanted to have had some, probably some more hits and, and you know, I'm sure he's been working steadily. I, I just I, I couldn't tell you much of what he's been in. You see him pop up in the eye thing here and there, but... I mean, if that's what you're going to be remembered for, like fine by me, I think it's one of the great performances to go um, head to head against De Niro and Pesci in that kind of form. As you, you mentioned it before, the, um, the what's so funny kind of scene. Mm-hmm. That, like I've seen that film probably like, I don't know, too many times to count and I still get uncomfortable watching that. It's just so uncomfortable to watch. And I think that that's a, a mark of just how everyone was just firing on all cylinders, cylinders in that film. And there's also, I'm oh, sorry, go on you. I interrupted. Go. No, no. And I was just going to say, and I love the transition from the, like, who didn't want to, if you cut the first 45 minutes, who didn't want to be like affiliated with just some harmless kind of like local mafia where it just is like a big old family kind of thing. And then the transition into, you know, when he gets to know uh, Jimmy and um, they start pulling off bigger heists and then the paranoia sets in and then the all out, coke come down of the last 30 <laughs> minutes is just so uncomfortable to watch yeah um it's it's brilliantly as brilliantly um paced that film as well and i think and i don't know what it, i don't know what, which one i watched first it was either this it was either goodfellas or sopranos i can't remember what it was um but whichever one that i watched first it was the first time i'd seen like the hero or the protagonist like be a real scumbag and also like have an affair like because the whole time like he'll never cheat on her like he loves her, and then like when he does, so I start hooking up with other girls. And I was like, oh, but I liked you. Like you were doing bad things, but I liked you. And now it's really hard for me to like you. And then I had that same feeling with Tony Soprano as well, because like he loves his. Oh, oh, like why? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't look. Believe me, like having an affair is the least offensive thing they do in those movies. Do you know what I mean? Like they're killing people, they're ripping people off. But even still, it's like, well, that was the last thing you had. And now it's really hard for me to like you. Uh, and there's yeah, a, there's a Sopranos it. connection in that as well because Christopher from Sopranos is the the bartender or whatever, and Pesci is uh not none too kind to him throughout the film. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does um, fill him full of holes, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, the first one he just shoots him in the toe or whatever, and then he finishes the job. It's ah, oh, poor yeah. Christopher. And also, I want to give a shout out to I can't think of too many names, but shout out to that scene that goes through the the bar and introduces all the different characters and it's just sort of like Jimmy roast beef and that's <laughs> real Italian name. It's, it's a, a minute of absolute genius filmmaking. It, uh, there's a reason why it's on people's list. And like most people like kind of put it as their top Scorsese film or like I've seen people like it's my number one favorite. I'm like, it just, it's so entertaining and like so well-made like, but there is a Scorsese film for me that does top it. And I do, I, I do really think we have the same one, but I'll let you do your bit. All right. Well, I've just got one question for you, James. Are you a co-op? <laughs> yes. I was going to do my worst Bostonian accent as well. It's got to be departed. Uh, yeah. Departed is obviously unanimously our number one film. Um, and, and I say that it's now 15 years old, approximately and i still think it holds up to anything that's come out since um you've got and i think there's a few people who really needed this film to 
you know, when I look back on it, I think, I think Leonardo DiCaprio, this really cemented the transition from that like teen heartthrob. I think he needed this to go on and do some of the films he's done subsequently, mm. take him seriously as a bit more of a action leading man, I guess you might say. And I also think this also the same point you could be said about Scorsese where he was kind of in, he had his lane and some of those films are in our top five list. So I'm not saying at all that, that he was getting stale or stagnant, but this film and, and the fact that it was so good and it was such a big hit opens up the door for him to just start smashing them out of the park in the, the next 15 years and, and, and you're doing your Wolf of Wall Street and, and the Irishman and those kinds of films as well. It, um, yeah, it's, and I remember like, and I was always like an Oscars kid. Like I remember wanting to tune into the Oscars from maybe the age of like 10. Like I just, and I wasn't even, I hadn't seen most of the films on there, but I just was really interested in it. I'm like, oh, I just want to see this. And I remember like, probably around like kind of 12, 13 is when I started taking interest in film a bit more seriously. And then obviously I said before how it went. And I remember like, I think The Departed was the first film in a few years. Where I'm like, oh yeah, good. Like that, that one deserved to win. Cause I'd started watching the Oscars films at that point. I was like, it's been a while since like the, the winner actually probably deserved to win. And it really did. Like I would even, I'd throw a couple other names in there who needed that film. Like Jack Nicholson. Like he'd been doing some, you know, he'd kind of, you know, he hasn't been doing much lately. Obviously he's been quite ill and stuff, but he hadn't done much in a while um, that was kind of really engaging. And the, like to see, it might be the scariest Nicholson's ever been. And he was in The Shining. Like he's really, yeah. really ruthless, intimidating. Um, to see Matt Damon and Mark Wahlberg at a time where I couldn't tell the difference between them made it a very confusing <laughs> film and made the intrigue all that more. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, in- yeah. I I also would. I also think there's a great film to be made where DiCaprio and, and Matt Damon swap roles. I, I would just love to see that version of the film mm. as well. I think they both could have played both parts pretty well. It um, it's. It's, it's, I mean, I, I throw this word around a lot, but it's solid. Like, it's just, I can't fault it. You know, mm. it's two and a half hours. It goes by really quickly. It's a really good cop film, but it's also a really good gangster film while being different to what he's done before. Um, obviously, really popularized Dropkick Murphys with that song, but like, I can't, <laughs> can't imagine that film without that song. Um, and then, you know, I, I also, sorry, go on. Uh, no, I was also going to say it also. I mean, now we've been living with this film for 15 years. I, you know what's coming towards the end of it, but it like it can't be understated how fucking shocking yeah. that was. Uh, I feel like I could probably spoil a 15-year-old film, but you know, it. It, it, it seems like it's going in a certain way. And then um, Leonardo DiCaprio, who is our, our titular hero, um, dies. He gets just shot in the head and it's shocking. Like you do not see it coming. And it completely changes the film. Yeah. Um, and and I still can remember the first time I saw that. And you're just like, oh, sorry, is that real? Did that actually happen? And that might be one of the first films I saw where that happened. You know, like I was, you know, so, you know, I hadn't been watching a lot. You know, I hadn't really kind of gone out of my comfort zone. I've been watching stuff that I'd watch at home with the family and stuff. And The Departed was not the kind of thing that I would watch with my parents. Although, like, years on, I'm sure both my parents would say they've seen it and loved it. Um, so I didn't really see that kind of twist very often. Like you don't really like that's kind of I mean, it's more popular now. You'll see that happen a little bit more, like because people are like I want to reject what is normal in cinema. So more people will try that ending. Um, even as recent as spoilers, Avengers Endgame, they're like, you know what? 
we're done with Iron Man. Let's get rid of him. Like, mm. um, I mean, he had 10 years, so it wasn't like it was like <laughs> that surprising, but like it was, you know, th- that, that sort of thing happened. Um, that was the first time maybe I'd seen it. And that's not to say it hadn't happened before. It's the first time I saw it. Um, and then rewatching it later, you see things like the X, like if there's an X, if a character's under yeah. an X, like they're gone, like just, and that's the first time I'd really seen that kind of detail, like thrown into a bit like, wow, what a cool little thing. Like they, they're showing you the movie. They're telling you what's going to happen, but you have to be paying attention to pick up on it. Mm, um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good point. Cause I think there's, there's a, there's a cross taped on the lift behind him and um, there's crosses in the carpet, I think as well. Mm. Um, right at the end. It's a really good point. And there's another film um, I've talked about with you um, in the past that I really loved and does a very similar thing. This movie came out in 2019 called Midsummer. It's one of my favourite movies of the last 10 years. It's, it's brilliant. And it wasn't the first time I watched it, but the second time I watched it, there's literally a scene where they walk past a tapestry. And if you look at the tapestry, it gives you the entire plot of the film. Like it shows you everything that's going to happen in the next mm. three hours. Um, but like it's just it's like one of those blinking you miss or if you're not paying attention, you pick up on it. And that attention to detail and filmmaking, I'm just like, man, like, how ballsy do you have to be to be like, I'm going to tell you everything's going to happen, but I'm going to spoil the film for you and you're not even going to realize it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love The Departed. It's it's a perfect movie. Um, I do think it's a perfect movie. It, it, it's consistently in my top 10, um, depending on the day, the top five. It's a very malleable concept. <laughs> yeah, but, I, was, um, I was talking about that with my dad when, when he was on. He's actually going to be on the next episode of the show, but I recorded with him previously. And we were talking about his, and he's like, you know, before the show was asking me what my top five was, I was like, it changes. Like, and I think, like, that's part of being a film fan. Like, I think if you mm. only like the same five films and never change the ranking, like, you're probably not watching enough movies, <laughs> to be honest. No, that's, that's true. And I think that, like, the human experience is so diverse. How can you be, how can the same five movies fulfill every mood, you know? Yeah, like, recently... Um, I was, I was kind of going over it and I haven't talked about it on this show and I'll talk about it at some point, but I've done it to death on every podcast I've, I've ever hosted. So I'm like, oh, I'll leave my list for a while. But for the first time in almost 30 years, Blues Brothers dropped out of the top five. And I love that movie, but I rewatched it a couple of years ago. I was like, yeah, I do like it. And there's a lot to enjoy about it, but it's just not as relevant to me anymore. Like, it, you know, it was it had a really special place in my heart when I was a kid, but now I just don't watch it as regularly. Like, um, as an adult, it means different things to me. So... I'm going to put it aside. Like, I still love it. It's still, like, one of my favorite movies of all time, but it's just out of the top five for the moment. But, you know, it might bounce back. Um, it was, uh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah the list I mean, is constantly it's, it's, a, it's, it's always sitting there if I ever just want to see 800 police cars just, like, get yeah. smashed. <laughs> <laughs> like, there'll probably be a time when Clerks falls out of my top five. It's been in my top five for the last 15 years, and it'll probably stick, there, stick yeah. around. But, you know, there'll probably be a point where I'm like, you know what, I can't relate to being... Um, mm. you know, disenfranchised and working in retail, you know. So, like, there may be a time yeah. when it comes off. But I watched it at the end of last year and still, it still holds a very special place in my heart. So, it's still there for now, but we'll see. Um, yeah, yeah. Depart- departed. Oh, just so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, that was, I so was that's... shocked that our list was so close. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really shocked. For some reason, I had you down as someone who didn't enjoy Goodfella. I don't know why. I don't know if we'd ever talked about it before, but that's, that was the one that I thought maybe maybe wouldn't appear on yours, which might be a surprise, but I'm uh, completely wrong about that, obviously. I, th- I, I was like, well, def- I was like, I know we'll both have Wolf of Wall Street. And I know we'll both have Departed. I didn't think our top three would be identical. That really surprised <laughs> me. Um, yeah. 
Because um, I yeah, cause I and I thought you would have. I, I didn't know what to expect. I thought maybe like Shutter Island was going to be on your list because I still haven't seen Shutter Island. But I remember you talking about that film a lot, and I was like, that'll probably be on his list, which would be good because I haven't still haven't seen it. It'd be good to hear him talk about it. So that was the big surprise to me that that wasn't on your list. Um, um which top, leads me into my honorable mentions. Go for it, Shutter, Shutter Island. Island. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, before I go into them, I, I did cut you off there for the sake of comedy. So um. Did you have something else you wanted You're to say? You're a real king of comedy, my friend. Uh, <laughs> no, that was it. I was, I, I, I really am, because, and I've said this before, and like in, in the show we used to do, like our lists rarely ever matched up, and that's cause, not because we had such differing tastes. We've just both seen so many things. And I was like, even with Scorsese, there's so many movies. There's no way we'll, mm. we'll only get a couple. Top three to match, I think, is a testament not only to how much we are alike, but also how strong a filmmaker he is to like have that same top three list. Yeah, no, that's um, a really good point. Really good point. Um, um, right, let's let's hear your a couple of your ornament. Your ornament. I can't say words. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. mentions. Um, um, so do I you did, wanna go, I'll, Do you want to go one at a time, or do you want to just do them all in one hit? Or um, look, I'll just reel them off in one hit. Yeah. I tried to obviously could have fit a lot in here, but I tried to keep it. Um, so I didn't have it in my top five, but one of your films was Casino. Um, yep. I feel like it's. I feel like it's you know, uh, Goodfellas light almost. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Shutter Island, obviously in there, a uh, great film. Um, I just don't, and, and and I could make a case to put it in my top five, but then I just thought, look, it's not a film I go back to, you know, that's my, if I think about the, the cycle, that's, that's a, that's a once every five to seven year rewatch, whereas sure. the, the rest of them are kind of, you know, in that, that two year cycle where you're watching it consistently. Um, and then, the last one is a bit out of left field. Um, hopefully a lot of people have heard of it who are listening, but um, he directed a, a music concert in the late 70s called The Last Waltz, yep. um, which was a massive part of my childhood. Um, I, I got a lot of uh, uh, music was a massive thing between my dad and me, and he sort of introduced me to that. He had the DVD and um, and some iconic performances. I mean, it's it really the band's farewell um, performance and you've got people like Van Morrison, Eric Clapton appearing on there uh, among a lot of other people and it's just shot, it's, you can tell it's Scorsese, there's pans <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, um, it's shot beautifully and I uh, would really recommend if, if people like um, uh, like rock history and um, I know he did a few more recent like um, Shine a Light and um, I don't know if he did one with the White Stripes or something, uh, maybe I'm making that up but um, I think he did. If you want to yeah. see yeah, if you want to see the sort of the the starting point of him, you know, directing concerts and those kinds of things, I would really recommend the last waltz. Nice one. That is a deep cut. Um, and I I haven't seen well, I've seen Casino obviously, but the other two I haven't seen, so definitely wants to put on the watch list. Um, my, my honorable, honorable mentions are probably a bit more of the usual suspects, um, but we'll, we'll see. Um, Gangs of New York, I think, is a hugely underrated film. Like people like that, a lot of people marked that. Like I talked about, you know, Wolf of Wall Street being the downturn. Gangs of New York was the first one that really copped it. People were like, "This is really not Martin Scorsese," but it's great. I watched it a couple of years ago and it looked bad because I was watching it on DVD because <laughs> um, I didn't, have, I don't have it on Blu-ray. But um, again, like that's Leo. Like that's the third mention of Leo. Like he's really good at. Um, it was my first exposure to Daniel Day Lewis, and him playing Bill the Butcher is terrifying. Um, and it was the first really violent film I'd ever seen. Um, it was my gateway to cinema violence, which, as you know now, and people who follow the Instagram will know I'm a huge fan of cinema violence. Um, 
Cameron Diaz probably the weakest point of the film, but not because she's bad and it's just she feels like she's a bit miscast. But it's a really good film. Mm. Like it's really, you know, it's definitely worth a watch. You know, and Brendan Gleeson I think is in it as well, um, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and, and this one was um, one I, I I didn't really. I mean, of course, scouring through his his IMDb page, I, I came across it, and um, again, this is one of those ones where I, I, I'm never drawn to it. Um, mm. And I think uh, there's some iconic moments that, like, I don't know why, but I will, like, literally never forget um, Bill cutting, uh, putting, like, a knife against his glass eye. It's just, yeah. like, stuck with me. You know, there's some real creepy moments in it. But, um, no, great, great film. But, yeah, just not one that I, like, sort of am regularly drawn back to. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's really good. Raging Bull is on my honourable mentions. It's a great film. It's... um. The reason why it wasn't on, it's just a bit slow. Like I do like it, but it's a long mm. film and it's the pacing just it just you know, Scorsese has been Scorsese's like, look, I'm just gonna tell the story the way I want to. And for me, because of that's a little bit slow, like just when you think it's over, it's like, and now here's the whole part where he's old and fat. I'm like, oh gee, there's so much more to go. Like it it definitely yeah. dra- drags on. But performances are great to see, you know, um De Niro go to that shape and away from it and then back again, like he was doing it before um, before Christian Bale, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, taxi Driver. Look, I do like Taxi Driver quite a bit. It, does, it doesn't work for me the same way Fight Club doesn't work for me anymore, where it's like, oh, this is a really ang- angry young man film. Like, um, mm. whereas, you know, it's like, and not to say it doesn't have substance, but it just feels like it's catering to a certain age. And I don't think that was his intention, but, like, it's the kind of film where at 18 I'll be like, this is amazing. And now it's like a thirty-three-year-old dad. I'm just like, mm, like, I don't, like, I don't know. It doesn't work me the same way anymore. Um, yeah, yeah. And and then the last one is Last Temptation of Christ, um, which is also a really long film. It's Willem Dafoe playing Jesus, um, which is a weird sentence in itself. <laughs> um, yeah. But basically, the whole really like, controversial film, really controversial. And the whole idea for those who haven't seen it is Jesus, like, instead of getting nailed to the cross is like you know what i'm not going to be your savior and gets married and has a kid and 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 all sorts of stuff and it's real it's it's very interesting but it is long and it's slow and you have to and like i don't know whether he was really into the faith at the time or whether he was like i'm going to really make sure i'm sticking close to to the bible as much as possible because of that like it is a bit disarming we just kind of like oh Okay, they're talking in it's not they're not talking a different language, but they are talking a language that's not common to my tongue. And now I have to kind of adapt to this biblical speak. And it is kind of a little bit jarring. So it's a really great film, like can't fault it technically. And the concept is just like, wow, I can't believe anyone was like, I'm gonna do this. Uh, but just not quite a top five film, but definitely worth a watch. Mm, yeah. Um tough, tough watch, but um yeah, again, not one that I, I could squeeze into my list. But um, great performance by Willem Dafoe. I think people forget that he's been good for so many years, by the way. He's never really been bad. Like, he's always d- d- been doing interesting, making interesting decisions, the most recent of which is obviously in Spider-Man. Like, and it's mm. so weird to be like, oh, Last Temptation of Christ and Spider-Man next to each other. But it's true. Like, he's so villainous. Um, if people mm. like Willem Dafoe, I can't recommend enough Antichrist. It's really dark. It's not for everyone. But, boy, if you want to see Willem Dafoe, like, do some interesting stuff in cinema, like Antichrist is definitely. Is worth, that a Lars know, von Trier? It joint? sure is. LVT himself. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's how that's what the those, call him. those initials strike fear into my soul. Let me tell you. Yeah, that guy's a dark filmmaker. I've got a, a couple of his um, that I'll, that I'll revisit. Antichrist. I have. Mm. I've only seen the once, but um, 
it's pretty graphic. There's some pretty graphic mutilation in there. Um, mm. Nymphomaniac, another one, which is um, is really well done, but again, very graphic, but not violently. It's more of a sexual nature. <laughs> um, yeah, no, he, he definitely. He, I mean, I can kind of. They're, they're not my cup of tea. Uh, mm. Those films, um, but I I can see that in the same way that I. I will sometimes go into a horror film. Just I might put on a horror just just here on a, on an of an evening, because I just want to be overwhelmed with the fear that a horror can give you. You know, you just want that experience. You want to feel something mm. like that. And I can I can I can appreciate what he's going for there. He's leaning a lot into his his themes, but yeah, unfortunately, it's not themes that I get a lot out of. Yeah, like the the tough watches, like even his last one, the house Jack built, which I really enjoyed. I thought, and well, enjoy is not the right word, but like I thought it was really well made. And I thought it was really fascinating, and like Matt Dillon hadn't done anything for so long, and to see him come back and this kind of like the story of a serial killer, like, and I won't spoil the ending if people haven't seen it. It's a four year old film, but it's a two and a half hour film as well, and for me to spoil the ending is really going to ruin it for you. But it's basically like the life of a serial killer and covers like five of his five of his most memorable victims. Um, and it's um, it's it's really it's really well made. It's it's a really great film, but um, yeah, enjoyable is not the right word. I um, I think like with with that film, what shocked like there's just so many shocking things. Like there's this thing where like cause he dates women and then like he kind of plays the handsome awkward guy and then like you know he's Ted Bundy. He's every serial killer. He kind of lures women back and then kills them. Um. And there's one where he's with this woman, he's dating her, and like he starts hunting her children like with a rifle. It's so weird. And then starts turning them into like puppets in his workshop. It's <laughs> it's the weirdest movie. And then like I remember there's a scene later which with a girl and like I guess he mutilates her or whatever. And we're going way off topic now, by the way, but I just feel like we went down to the last <laughs> one tree rabbit hole. And like it just cuts to like outside and like the camera pans past like a taxi or something or like, a car with a broken window, and there's just like a boob on it. Because he's like cut <laughs> into pieces, and I was like, oh, I was like, last one is off the chain. Like this is, <laughs> like this is the story he's telling. Like it's. So I just want to know if someone's like, yeah, he's being funded to make these films, but is someone checking it on him? He's all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so, um, but like but definitely he, fascinating. You mentioned that he's turning her children into puppets. I'd love to get a shared universe with um that. Fucking Warus film. Oh, Tusk. <laughs> Tusk, yeah. Maybe like like the yeah, like a Tusk universe where they team up or something. Oh, I love Tusk. Tusk is um at some point I'll do a Kevin Smith episode. I don't know who with. Maybe I got I got like no one seems to like him as much as I do. But at one point I've got a actually I've got a friend who is a big clerks fan. Maybe yeah. I'll be able to rope him in and do some some Kevin Smith. Mm. But Tusk is I, I love uh, that film. <laughs> down the track, if you want to do a, you can set like Kevin Smith homework, and maybe I'll I'll try and watch like three films, and then you that can might get be like, something. A, like yeah. perspective from someone who's been a lifelong fan versus someone who's sort of, you know, I, I'm not a massive fan, and not not out of dislike, but lack of exposure, really. Yeah, I'll pick I'll pick my three favorites. Tusk won't be on that list. I do like Tusk, but it's not on my. Mm. I, I would say. Well, Clerks obviously would be on there, and then probably Dog. Surely, Mark. Chasing Amy. Chase, it's not. I, I do like Chasing Amy quite a bit, but I watched it recently, and it's just um, it's a little bit dated. And like, what was very progressive in the '90s is a little bit counter-progressive in the present day. Like, uh, and like, that's not why I 
it's not that I don't like it. I'm like, well, this film is bad. Like, I do enjoy it, but there's better better ones out there. But I'd probably say Clerks, Dogma, and Red State are probably the three that I would I would refer. But then like Clerks Two is really good. Um, and I you know I'm in the the minority here, but Jersey Girl to me like I love the movie the first time I saw it, and now watching it as a father, I'm like it just destroys me. Like it's such a good movie. But um, yeah. I don't know. I'll come up with some homework, and yeah, maybe we'll get we'll do that at some point. Yeah, um, for sure. Cool. Well, look, we're almost done. Um, but what we do every episode is we finish with a couple of rapid-fire questions. So you don't need to think about these too hard, but I will ask you a couple of questions. First thing pops in your head, give me an answer and see what comes up. So, Nick, what was the last thing you watched? Mm, sadly, The Test. Oh, what's that? The Test is a ace-part documentary series on the Australian Test cricket team. I thought it might uh, be that, yeah. In the wake of, um, in the wake of, I don't know if if, if our listeners are going to have a shared love of, of sports and in particular cricket. But James, does the word sandpaper gate mean anything to you? <laughs> no. <laughs> You're aware of any any scandal that ends in gate being particularly serious? I, I remember Deflate Gate with Tom Brady a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's it's along those lines. So back in in 2018. Um, the the cricket team was caught um, tampering with with a, with a cricket ball. So um, they had some they some one of the players took some uh, like a really tiny bit of sandpaper onto the field and was yeah, like the way a cricket ball wear, wears down after you know ten or twenty overs. They try and keep one side of it shiny because it swings to the air. So they were just tampering with it with sandpaper. Um, and they got caught, and so this documentary is is really covering the next year and a half where they try and rebuild the team because a whole bunch of them got banned um, and rebuild the culture because it was obviously a pretty pretty crappy environment if they were cheating to win. Um, and I've got to say it's one of the better sports documentary series I've, I've seen in quite a long time. It's really engaging. You get a real insight into what it's like to be in the changing rooms, which I think is what a lot of sports fans want to see out of these. They want to know what it's like. Um, yeah. So really recommend that. And then just I'll quickly give you a real answer of something theatrical. Um, <laughs> I just finished Only Murders in the Building, which I would highly recommend. I haven't checked it out. Tina started watching it and she was kind of like, do you want to watch this? I'm like, yeah, I'll get to it. But if you want to, we're now at a point in our relationship where like we're not really waiting. Like if one of us wants to watch it and the other one's on the mood, we'll just watch it without him. Like that's where we're at. Otherwise, nothing else yeah. to watch. Side note, after six years of trying, Tina has started watching Daredevil. Oh, that's fantastic. We're, um, we're about, I think we're five episodes into season one. So we're not watching it every night because it is very dark. Um, and like for her, she's like, yeah, she's like I've, said, I've made the joke a couple of times. Tonight. She's like, I'm a mum now. So like, I don't need to see this kind of brutality every night. But um, she does seem to be digging it. She hates Fisk, which I think is the right answer. Um, mm, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. But um, she's, fi- yeah, she's finally watching with it. And because I said, I said, look, just try it with me once more because we watched... Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. It's been out for months. We watched Spider-Man, Daredevil shows up in it. Um, we watched Hawkeye. If you haven't seen Hawkeye, I won't spoil it, but a character shows up in that as well. And Hawkeye was way better than it deserved to be. It was so good. Um, so after that, I said, look, you've seen those characters show up. That wasn't really good representation of them, but they're going to show up again and again. It you know, might be worth giving Daredevil a go now. And Tina was like, all right, I'll, I'll give it a go. And I was really cool about it. I said, look, just watch the first couple of episodes with me. You've seen the first one before you didn't like it. So watch the first two. If you're not into after that, we can stop. And she's still like, hey, let's watch some more Daredevil. So 
It only took almost a decade, but we're, we're well, there. Go, go Tina. Yeah, it was good to see. So I've been enjoying that. Um, all right. That was the first question. Um, Nick, what's been sitting on your watch list forever? Great question, James. I can tell you because I've got my list right here. Because we've um, all got one. I mean, sometimes we, some of us have more than one, but we've all got that film where we're like, I'll get to it eventually, and we just keep putting it off for whatever reason. Yeah, do you know what it is? Uh, it won't be forever because this movie isn't that old, but The Shape of Water. Oh, um, okay. And, and, and that's because I do try and make a point of checking out those films that, I mean, that one, um, I think the, the Academy Award for Best Picture five or six years ago, whenever it was. Um, and I do, it's rare that I don't try and see those, those important few films that come out in a year. Um, but for some reason I missed it and just I haven't quite had the, the inclination to, um, to, you know, to go back and, and find it, whether it's on a streaming service, I, I don't know. But, yeah, so that's probably, that's probably a film that's been on my list for too long and I need to just watch. Oh, it's so good. I mean, like, it's a weird one. It's Del Toro, so of course, it's strange, but like, it's it's wonderful. Like, it's really, really good. And Michael Shannon gives one of the like, I mean, he's a guy who's full of dark, weird performances, but like, he really <laughs> just goes out on on a limb in this one. So, um, ah, oh, great. Um, cool. So, are you a movie crier? Uh, I wasn't for a long time. But uh, I think with maturity and life experiences and going through adversity, I, I am proudly, I, I do well up. I, I cry, I'm going to just count welling up as crying because I, I, don't, I don't ever just like ball. But, yeah, definitely, definitely. You'll get there, my friend. I am an ugly crier <laughs> in movies. I've, I'm very proud about it. I always talk about it. I, like, I don't really cry in real life, but movies, like you put me in front of like um, the big sick, like, don't ever talk to me like that's it. Toy Story three, mm. I'm done. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll, there's, there's, two, of course, Big Big Sick is a perfect example of a film where I would well up anything that's got real, um, uh, like, well, I mean, for lack of a better word, anything that's like really uh, is quite a sad film. But I also I well up with inspiration and, um, like, for an example. And I don't know if it was because I went and saw this film after a terrible night's sleep, so I was really tired. Emotions probably running high. But um, Avengers Endgame yeah. on your left, I was, yeah. I was just – and, like, the music swells and all the, the Avengers who got dusted come back. I was, like, yeah, just, like, sniffling in the cinema just trying to keep it in. Pretty much that last half, like, 45 minutes or so, like, from on your left through till I'll get you all the cheeseburgers you want – is just mm. a non-stop cry fest. And like, and it's a really weird wave of emotions. And like, I'm going to sound like a real nerd now, but that's fine. Like, on your left is obviously a big one. Um, and then like just seeing everyone comes through the portals. And then at one point you see Valkyrie riding a Pegasus, cutting up a giant space worm and Spider-Man's hanging on. And I remember I was crying. So I'm like, this is a, ama- I can't believe this is happening. Like it was such yeah. like childlike joyous tears where I'm like, this is the most amazing thing I've seen in film. Like, cause they've never done, like, just think about that sentence. Valkyrie on a Pegasus with a spear in a giant space and <laughs> Spider-Man swinging behind. Like it does, it sounds ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, you know, obviously the, you know, the death of Tony and then, but that, mm. that line about the cheeseburgers like kills me every time. Mm. Um, and then, you know, recently I won't go into too much spoilery details, but Spider-Man, um, no way home. Like from the line about responsibility, and that's as much as I'll spoil. Because I was just like, they did it. 
we finally got that line and it was delivered perfectly. Everything that follows that right up until the scene where they're in the, in the lab. So, cause I'm just like, this is happening. Oh my goodness. Like, yeah. cause, and you have such a nostalgic, um, I mean, spoilers, it's been out forever. It's Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. Like everyone knew this already, <laughs> but like seeing them come in, look, I cried. Cause like, Oh my God, like, I, I knew this was happening and still to see it happen. Like to, you know, I was in the theater 22 years earlier seeing Spider-Man for the first time to see him back like to see him acknowledge that things got a bit weird in the trilogy towards the end and he's working through it and to see um, Andrew Garfield get that redemption you know he gets that saviour moment like did, uh, did you you saw that in the cinema I presume yeah it was yeah did your, did your session cheer um, there weren't cheers but there were some gasps there were a couple of like yeah but it wasn't it wasn't yeah. cheering cheering and but a lot of people, and which this to me shows the extent of the fandom. This is how far reached. When he saves MJ, like I burst into tears. I was like, "Yes, like finally, mm. he got to do what he couldn't do in last one." Yeah. And I wasn't the only one. And I was in a gold class cinema, so it wasn't like it was a full theater. People had seen that movie, and like it meant so much. But they're like, "We saw him fail previously, and now he gets redemption." And there's this beautiful line where I found out it was ad libbed because he goes, Are "You okay?" And then she goes, "Yeah, are you?" And it's just like. What a brilliant ad-lib by Zendaya, like to say that. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, uh, so long story short, yeah, movie cry. Uh, again, not to, not to sidetrack this quick rapid, so-called rapid fire <laughs> section. You should have known it was going to go pear-shaped with me, but um, <laughs> am I the only one who wants to see now? So I went, uh, like I reckon at least 50% of the audience, I went home and I'm like, yep, I'm going to rewatch Toby's three and I'm going to rewatch Andrew Garfield's two. And, um, and I, I don't love the way he plays Peter Parker, um, Andrew, Andrew Garfield, um, bit too cool. Bit too sexy. Yeah. Well, no, not so much that just a bit too like, not sexy. Yeah. Enough, okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but I, I couldn't put my finger on it, but like, I want to see a, like go back to his universe and see this, like, damaged and maybe in the wake of of this of what's just happened in um no way home mm. um you know but like i thought he was the standout of all three to be honest yes, and i thought yeah, it was going to be toby because he's the og so so i i watched the original trilogy before no way home i was going to try and watch all of them and i just couldn't like with everything i just couldn't get through them but i got through the first, i couldn't get to it but i watched the, the original trilogy and um I love all three of those films, and I'm not saying this like post No Way Home. Like I've always loved all three of them. Spider-Man Three was my first date movie with Tina, um, so it has a real soft spot. I have a real soft spot for it. It's not that bad a film. The last time I watched it previously, I, we reviewed it on on Past the Remote. Um, Tina and I did, and I said it makes a lot of interesting decisions, but it always just makes the wrong turn. Rewatching it, people just really misunderstood that film. Like, yeah, there's some weird stuff. But the whole point is the symbiote is giving him misplaced confidence. Like it's confidence he shouldn't have. And if you look at the way it plays out, people are reacting accordingly. Like when he's dancing, people are like, what's wrong with this guy? Why is he dancing? Yeah. Like it actually, like it took a little while, but it, it's, and even I, you know, have criticized in the past watching it. I'm like, you know what this, it knows what it's doing. And then the Andrew Garfield films, I've always said this as well. I like the Electro film better. Like, and I know a lot of mm. people are like, what are you talking about? Or like, oh, she'll know we're home. No, like, I like the Lizard one fine. It's fun. But like, the Lizard is kind of an uninteresting villain to me. That second one, I was thrilled. I'm like, yes, we're doing Sinister Six. 
show me that. Show me this. Uh, like, we've got Green Goblin in here. Like, yeah, it's a bit rushed, but I don't care. We've got Rhino at the end. He's back as Spider-Man. He saves the kid. Like, this is fantastic. His Peter is a little bit weak, and at least in those movies. His, his Peter's a lot better in No Way Home. And same yeah, with Tobey yeah. Maguire. His Spider-Man is not quite as good as his Peter Parker. Like, Tom Holland kind of nails both, but they both do a pretty good job. Um, in terms of future movies, A, Andrew Garfield has been all over the internet saying, look, hey, if they want me, I'm in. Like, I'll, I'll do another one. And same with Toby. I think he's got a pretty open door there. And there's a lot of campaigns for Spider-Man 4 and Amazing Spider-Man 3. But mm. the thing that I'll, that is interesting is if you watch the trailer for Morbius, which is that Jared Leto vampire movie, which is a Spider-Man spin-off movie, the Oscorp logo on the Oscorp building is the same one from the Andrew Garfield films. The Daily Bugle um, logo on the newspaper is the same from the Tobey Maguire ones. And there's a scene where they walk past the spray-painted like graffiti of Spider-Man says murderer, and it's the same Spider-Man suit that Andrew Garfield wore. And in No Way Home, he says he stopped pulling his punches. He got dark. He started hurting people. Mm. So I wonder whether Morbius is in this Andrew Garfield universe. Um, I mean, and- uh, that, that sounds like a pretty sweet bit of detective work from whoever saw that stuff. I, I don't know who picks up on these kind of things, mm. but yeah. Um, um, no, and then, awesome, and, and people are like, why couldn't Tom Hardy be the be Venom to? Because obviously, if you say for the post credit sequences, he's not in the film. Like he comes and goes in the post. Like he appears at the end of Venom, let there be carnage. He gets transported into the MCU. At the end of No Way Home, he gets transported out again. Like he doesn't stick around, <laughs> but he leaves a bit of symbiote behind. But it's like, well, why couldn't he be the Venom to Andrew Garfield Spider Man? Like that would kind of be cool. And then you mm. get to have those two. Um, we got way off track, but like, it's <laughs> such a good movie. Um, and it really, I'm glad people are appreciating the Spider-Man movies more now. Um, all right, rapid fire question. <laughs> I think I know the answer to this one already. Um, which actor or actress will you follow anywhere? Uh, probably Leo. Yeah, I knew it. I was, I was like, this like, yeah. after the episode we've had, it's got to be Leo. Um, he's 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 just to quickly vamp on that answer. Um, yeah, also, I was never going to zag on which is my, like, favourite actor. It's always going to be Leo. Mm. Um, he's, he's, like, the Nolan of actors. And what I mean by that is, like, he's, he's never tied to a specific role. Yeah. Everything he's doing is a choice and it's a specific choice. Uh, it usually works is, is the key. He's, he's usually great. And, um, yeah, I just – I don't think – I even watched Don't Look Up, which I don't think was particularly good. Um, but there's no way I'll, I would have watched that if it was just like a lesser actor. So, yeah. I think, and you're right, like he, he's not like one of my favourite. I do like Leo, but he's not someone that I necessarily follow, but I have seen a lot of the stuff he's in. Um, he's one of the few actors I don't want to see play a superhero. Like when people do fan casts and stuff, because apparently at one point he was rumoured, well, I think actually it might have been even James Cameron, because at one point James Cameron was meant to make a Spider-Man movie and then it ended up going to Sam Raimi. And I think the rumour was because they'd done Titanic together, that Leo was up for that, like up for that role. I don't want to see him in a superhero film. Like I don't want to see him in a comic book movie. Like I like that he makes all these interesting choices. I like that he can do Django and he can do can do Titanic, which is really you know I was gonna say underrated. Like people love Titanic, but I always had this kind of for a long time a prejudice against that film because I'm like oh, it's just like a girly film about a boat, but like it is like Titanic is brilliant. Like it's a really <laughs> well made film. Um, as I get older, I can appreciate it. Um, mm. like he does all these interesting films and goes back and forth. I don't need to see him put on a superhero outfit. I don't need to see him play a villain in a comic book movie. Like I think it would be as good as those Marvel films are and most of those DC films are, 
I think he'd be wasted. I just don't think there's a role you can give him where you're not gonna like. You're not gonna create a film that Matt, that's gonna be on par with his talent. Like it's mm. the same reason I wouldn't I wouldn't want to see Daniel Day Lewis in a comic book film. There are a couple of actors who just they're not popcorn movie guys. They make art films, you know. Like and even though you know people might be like, oh yeah, <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street's an art film. It's it's just a different caliber of movie. I don't need to see him mm. in, in those kind of popcorn yeah. films. And I think it would, it's a really it, would good point. it would lessen the appeal of him. People are like, oh, okay, well he's made the switch to these movies, so okay. Like, and I love mm. these movies, so I'm not criticizing the genre. It just didn't, doesn't seem like a patch uh, a match that would work well. Uh, all right. I'll just so, say a quick honorable mention because, um, like, coming in in very close second place would be Tom Cruise because he's just been a ever-present person in my life from growing up on Top Gun all the way through. I mean, I don't know how it's possible. I, I know I know he's very divisive, but I'd also just give him a shout-out because, like, from Top Gun through to Mission Impossible 6, I mean, that's like that's like 40 years nearly of just nothing but net, you know? So I'll just give a shout-out to my boy, Tom Cruise. I know you, he's... You definitely made me appreciate him more because I was in the other camp. I'm like, eh, Tom Cruise. I didn't dislike him. And he'd done some interesting stuff. Like, obviously, Tropic Thunder, like, is one that people go to because just like, that's Tom Cruise. Um, collateral, another one. Like, just seeing him do these different performances, like, actual performances. Like, he's a movie star. He doesn't have to, you know, he doesn't have to do performances. He can just show up, do the thing he's known for, and people will love it. And he's great at that. But to see him go outside of his comfort zone... Um, it was really cool, but you really got me on board with the Mission Impossible train. Like I, I have now seen all of them, and even though that wouldn't, I wouldn't rank them in my favorite films, they're definitely great popcorn films. I'm like, oh yeah, this is entertaining. Mm. Um, how do you feel about the rumors that he might be playing Iron Man, like a variant Iron Man? Is that something you're down for, or um, like I don't, I don't know if I need to see him in a superhero outfit and in the MCU or anything like that. Uh, like he has his lane, he has his things. And, you know, like I think about the, the characters he tends to play in this sort of later start of, part of his career, sorry, is, you know, your Jack Reaches, he's still playing Ethan Hunt. Um, you know, there's a type that he plays and I think he's, and like I, I'll, by all, I'll be the first person to say he doesn't stretch very far, but because um, he's quite short, but um Cut Steve for me because um, I'm also a short guy, but anyway. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, I'd see it. I'd yeah. definitely see it. I don't know if I need to see it, though. I don't think, I mean, if the rumors are true, and like, I've seen a couple of photos, but you know how these leaks go. Like, some of them are real and some of them are definitely like fake. If he shows up in, in, in one scene in Doctor Strange as just a different Iron Man and that's it, like, it's kind of cool that he did it, you know. Like mm. he doesn't have he doesn't have to do it. Like he's making plenty of money. He's making he's, he's got his own lane, as you mentioned. Um, he also had obviously the very memorable role of playing Austin Powers in Goldmember. Uh, <laughs> let's not forget that. Um, how, but, uh, yeah, how can I forget? <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. What was the worst movie you ever saw? Jeez. Um. I'll give you the worst, maybe like the bit my one of my di- biggest disappointments as I think of it, because I can tell you like the worst, but it was like always designed to be a piece of shit. So something like The Room or, <laughs> you know, those ones that are just purposefully bad. The Room's a gold been... star film. Don't even try to shut the room down. <laughs> um, it's his worst film. It's actually, I find that a really hard one to answer because I tend to just, if I don't like the look of something, I don't watch it. Mm. Um, 
I'm going to throw a really recent one under the bus and I'm sorry, it's probably not answering your question accurately, but I, I, I was really disappointed in don't look up. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of hype. Everyone in it is really good individually, but I just, I don't know. I just like, I was annoyed while I was watching it. I was actively just like, why is this film here? Like, it's really annoying. The me- like, and I'm not someone who's anti that message at all of, of, of like, you know, looking after the climate and stuff like that. That That's not it at all, but it just, I don't know. It was a very irritating film. Everyone was annoying <laughs> in it. <laughs> like, I, yeah. So yeah, that's probably one of the more disappointing films I've seen lately. That's it. Look, it's hardly, I spent the first half of the show being like, there's no bad films. I don't dislike anything. And then be like, by the way, which is the worst film you've ever seen? Um, Cool. Last question. Which film should they never remake? Hmm. I'm going to go with something super popular here. I don't think, like, I'd see a little cameo of, um, of like Tom Cruise playing Iron Man, but I don't, I don't want to see a reboot of Iron Man. Um, so a film that, they will that, inevitably that, remake, but yeah. <laughs> no, but like, and that's why I raised it because like we're in this reboot culture where like give it give it um, five or ten years and you can just like restart everything. But like to me, I like who's going to want to play Iron Man after Robert yeah. Downey Jr. has like crushed it for ten years? Like it's so iconic, and I don't know. I, I think Marvel's going to struggle without him and um, and Chris Evans. You know, I, I think that they already. You can see that there's been a few diminishing returns on their more recent films. I actually haven't seen the two most recent, not for that reason, just because you can't get to a cinema these days. Um, That's interesting. But, I, I, I mean, I mean, look, and look, this is not the time or the place to have that conversation because we've been going on for almost two hours. But um, I, I've been really enjoying the most of the stuff they put out. Like Loki was a bit of a disappointment for me, um, but I loved WandaVision. I really liked Falcon Winter Soldier. I really enjoyed like kind of the, the. Um, uh, creativity of what if Hawkeye as I said like I was shocked how much I liked it um, and then one of my favorite movies of one of my favorite Marvel films in a long time was Shang-Chi like I liked it was my favorite standalone film since Homecoming until I saw Far From Home and then I uh, sorry No Way Home and then that took over um, and Eternals got some you know some interesting stuff like Eternals is definitely the weakest of the lot I think that oh I liked Eternals more than Loki um, but yeah but look, I mean, you're right. Like they had two powerhouses, um, but the good thing is we don't know that you know Captain America's dead, so he could always come up again if he wanted to. Well, um, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, that's it. That's the show. Um, did you have anything you want to to plug or, or shout out before we we wrap it up? No, just I'll reiterate: down with IP, bring on independent ideas in cinema. <laughs> <laughs> He's starting um, a flame war, guys. Um, so no, um, check out. Power of the Dog, that was great with old Benedict Cumberbatch. It's on Netflix. That was really fantastic. Um, oh, nice. This is a good one. But, um, yeah, look, no, nothing to plug. You could plug my social media, but I haven't posted anything since the last time. You would have done that like five <laughs> years ago. So. <laughs> uh, no worries. Well, look, Nick Owen will definitely be back on again. As you can see, he has plenty to say. One of my favorite people to speak to in the world. Um, you can follow the podcast on Instagram. I was a teenage film snob. Um, it's true. I was, I'm James Chalmers. I was a film snob, but I am trying to get better. We'll see you next week.